Paranorm podcast contains content that might not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. This is Paranorm Podcast. Hello, everybody. We are back with a bonus episode of Paranorm, the podcast where we chat everything true crime and paranormal. Sure, we're going to go with that. What else did you got? Okay. Um, this one's in honor of the three months of double full moons, also known as my favorite fucking thing ever. <laughs> like, I fucking love it. Like, yeah. I don't know what kind of energy it's putting out there, but I'm vibing with it real strong right now, y'all. <laughs> um, so... I figured I'd cover some murders that happened under a full moon. Oh. Or at least the first one did. Um, but they're, like, all, like, together. Okay. You know? All right. But before we do, how the fuck are we? I had a good day. Yeah? Overall. All right. I am I am still sick, so. I know I said that in our um, last episode, um, but it's still here and it's still popping, guys. <laughs> we had um, to take Maggie back today, so I'm always weird, like, in a weird mood yeah when we take Maggie back because it makes me sad um I don't I don't love it it's not my favorite thing that we do mm-hmm. so um yeah all right so are we ready I'm as yeah. you guys hear me fumbling with this iPad right here I'm trying to figure out the stand um every fucking episode it only goes two ways in or out it does here we go again another click guys Okay, so this special episode, we are talking about the Texarkana Moonlight Murders. Mm, Texarkana. I fucking love saying that. I don't know (laughs) why I love it so much, but Texarkana is basically one of my favorite things to say. Um, And I didn't know this until yesterday when I was doing these Other than pergola. You didn't say it with the full force. Pergola. (laughs) I'm fucking... (laughs) I'm gonna lose it again. (laughs) Pergola is just such a fun word, guys. I don't. I I just need everyone. (laughs) I can't do it. I I just need everyone. Like if you (laughs) just give it a try, okay? Just just pause and try it. Like, but you gotta you gotta say it like with a really like pursing your lips and like really get it out there, guys. Get that. Be going. Yeah, like it is it is just such a fun fucking word. It makes me laugh my ass off. <laughs> As Ooh, you can see. You guys here. should totally send us words that you think is are fun to say and we can have Emily try it. <laughs> because I think that would be hilarious if you would send us some uh, of your favorite words. Yeah, okay. Because and don't be like, I don't have a favorite word. Um, because bitch you lying. Um, and there's like one word that you like can say and you just automatically you're like, okay, like how people say like you can't say bubbles with a straight face. <laughs> um, pergola is that word for me. Uh-huh. And it just brings me so much joy. And every time we see a pergola while we're driving <laughs> Pergola or Subaru. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I want a Subaru so bad. Um so now every time I see one I go Subaru um like Pikachu I yeah. choose you <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'm glad we're getting all the laughing out now because this gets really fucking dark oh, man. <laughs> but anyways okay send us to Sun- paranormpodcast at gmail.com yeah do it okay all right down are we ready for the doozy Let's jump in the rabbit hole. Here we go. Okay. Um, and it is a rabbit hole because I was really fucking obsessed with this and did a lot of notes. Um, so at around 11.45 p.m. on Friday, February 22nd, 1946, Jimmy Hollis, he was 25, and his girlfriend, Mary Jeanne, Larry, age 19, parked on a secluded road known as Lover's Lane oh, after having seen a movie together. The area was approximately 50 feet off of Robinson Road on, like, a dirt gravel kind of area. It always is. Yeah. About 100 y- yards from, like, the last row of houses. hmm So, pretty fucking secluded. Yeah. Um, around 10 minutes later, at 11.55, a man wearing a white cloth mask 
which resembled a pillowcase with eye holes cut out, appear, which kind of sounds to me like a fucking KKK mm-hmm. hood, does it not? Yeah. Okay. Um, appeared at Hollis's driver's side door and show, like shined a flashlight in the window. Um, Hollis was like thinking it was a prank at this mm-hmm. point yeah. um, and was like thinking he had the wrong person. So he responded, I don't want to kill, uh, like the man responded to Hollis. He was like, I don't want to kill you fellow. So do what I say. Mm. Yeah. Um, both, yes. Both Hollis and Larry were ordered out of the driver's side door and the man ordered Hollis to take off his goddamn britches. This is a quote. Um, after Hollis complied, the man struck him in the head twice with a pistol. Larry later told investigators that the noise was so loud she initially thought that Hollis had been shot. Wow. Uh, yeah. Um, when it had actually been his skull fracturing. Ow. Yeah. Ow. Do you have a bruise on your hand? No. I oh, mean, yeah, you maybe do. from yeah, the... Yeah, you do. Okay, I forgot you had to get blood drawn. Just kidding. I was like, what, what happened? I'm fine. Don't worry about me. <laughs> Sierra was the one going to the doctor for once, and it was not me, so there is that. Um, anyway. Not dying yet. Well, I guess I am, technically. Everybody is, and it just can't get over fast enough for me. Hmm. That's rude. <laughs> Not you. Not you dying. Yeah, I know. I'm aware that you're talking about yourself. Okay. And I just, no. Okay. Anyway, so thinking that the assailant wanted to rob, Larry showed him Hollis's wallet to prove that he had no money, after which she was struck with a blunt object. The assailant ordered her to stand, and when she did, told her to run. Wait. He hits her with the something... And then he wants her to stand up and then run? Yes. Um, So when she tried to flee towards a ditch, the assailant ordered her to run in a different direction up the road. What? Yes. So Larry spotted an old car parked off the road but found it empty and and then was again confronted by the attacker who asked her why she was running, which is really fucking creepy to me and I don't, I, I do not love it. Um, when she responded that she had, um, when she responded that he had told her to do so, he called her a liar before knocking her down and sexually assaulting her with the barrel of his gun. After the assault, Larry fled on foot, running a half a mile to a nearby house, which, girl, that's stamina, killing it. Um, she attempted to call for a car passing by the residence, but was ignored, which... I mean, it's the 40s. I thought people were more trusting. Like, come on, people. So, I don't know. O'Leary was able to awaken the residents of the house and phone the police. Meanwhile, Hollis had regained consciousness and managed to flag down a passerby on the the nearby road. Ah, So he can get a car to stop. He's a man. Um, The motorist left Hollis at the scene and drove to a nearby funeral home where he was able to call the police. Within 30 minutes, Bowie County Sheriff W.H., also known as Bill Presley, and three other officers arrived to the scene of the attack, but the assailant had already left, which obviously. Um, They found Hollis's pants 100 yards away from the parked car. Um, So Larry was hospitalized overnight for a minor head wound. Hollis was hospitalized for several days to um, to recover from multiple skull fractures. Hollis and Larry gave conflicting reports to law enforcement as to what the attacker had looked like, which makes sense because eyewitness accounts are really fucking jumbled because of everything that's happening in that moment. It makes total sense. Right. And if he was wearing the little, the thing over him, like... The KKK hood. Yeah. Whatever. I'm just going to refer to it as that from now on. Um, so Larry claimed that the man was wearing a white bag over his head with cutouts for the eyes and mouth and that she could see under the mask that he was apparently an African-American. Hollis alternatively claimed the man was white and around 30 years old, but conceded that he could not distinguish distinguish his features and he had been blinded with the flashlight. Both agreed that the assailant was around six feet tall. So law enforcement repeatedly challenged Larry's account and believed that she and Hollis knew the identity of the attacker and were covering for him. Yes, because... That's what you do with people who sexually assault you. With the and your girlfriend at that. Like, what? I mean, that's not something you do as a joke, so... No. No. Um, Sunday, now this is... Now we're moving on. So, Sunday, March 24th, 1946, Richard Lee Griffin 
I'm sorry, Richard L. Griffin, age 29, and his girlfriend of six weeks, Polly Ann um, Moore, age 17, which don't get me started on that age gap, um, were found dead in Griffin's 1941 Oldsmobile sedan between 8.30 and 9 a.m. Also, my dad had an Oldsmobile, and it was purple, and we called it the Barney car. I had an Oldsmobile as well. Did you really? What color was it? It was silver. Mm. Um, so a motorist saw the parked car on Lover's Lane. Um, named this is the same one. Yes. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, oh, did I mention that the first one took place on a full moon? The first attack happened on a full moon. Not specifically, but that we're go- it, it happened on a full moon, guys. Okay. Um, so the motorist saw the parked car on Lover's Lane. And um, at first, the motorist thought that they were both asleep. Uh, Griffin was found between the front seats on his knees with his head resting on his hands, like, crossed. Mm -hmm. um, His pockets turned inside out. Moore was found sprawled face down in the back seat. There is evidence, however, that suggests she was killed on a blanket outside the car and then placed there. Okay. Um, Griffin had been shot twice while still in the car. Both had been shot once in the back of the head, and both were fully clothed. A blood slip, a blood, a blood-soaked path of earth near the car suggested to police that they had been killed outside the car and placed back inside again. Following is what I just said. Um, congealed blood. I don't love that. Um, was found covering the running board and it had flowed through the bottom of the car door, which is a lot of fucking blood, mm-hmm. honestly. Um, a 32 cartridge, how do you say it? Cartridge? Yeah. Yeah. A 32 cartridge shell was also found, possibly shot from a Colt pistol wrapped in a blanket. Um, no reports indicate that either Griffin or Moore were examined by a pathologist, which is... Why? Yeah. Um... A local rumor had spread that a sexual assault had also occurred, but um, modern reports had, like, refuted that claim, so it's not really sure if it did or didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, in response to the murders, police launched a citywide investigation along with um, Texas and Arkansas City Police, the Department of Public Safety, Miller and Cass County Sheriff's Departments, and the FBI. Again, this is the fucking 40s. Mm-hmm. That's a That's a lot. That is a lot. It's a lot of people to, like, be on the same page. Yes, it is. Um, So, by March 27th, local police had interviewed around 50 to 60 witnesses. That's the next fucking day. Isn't it? No. No? I said the 20... What did I say? I thought you loved that we were in May. No, March 24th. Um, So, that's... How many days later is that? Three? 24th to what? 27th yeah so by march 27th three days later they had interviewed already 50 to 60 witnesses including patrons and employees of club dallas a local bar near like the crime scene um by march 30th police had posted a 500 dollars reward in effort to gain like any new information um and that would like no i'm sorry the reward yielded no helpful clues Mm -hmm. or like leads or anything suspects nothing um instead produced over a hundred false leads i mean go figure yes so on the evening of saturday april 13th betty joe booker age 15 was playing her alto saxophone in her regular weekly gig with her band the rhythm mares rhythm mares rhythm mares yeah yeah um, at the VFW Club at West 4th and Oak Street, which is just precious. <laughs> I remember going to the VFW with my ball, and it was, mm-hmm. like, the best thing ever. Um, around 1.30 a.m. Sunday morning, April 14th, her friend Paul Martin, age 17, arrived to pick her up for her, the performance. This was the last time the pair were seen alive. Um, Martin's body was found at around 6.30 a.m. that morning by Mr. and Mrs. G.H. Weaver and their son, lying on its left side by the northern edge of North Park Road, which is, like, I want to say it was, like, four miles down the road from, like, the Lover's Lane Mm -hmm. situation. Um, blood Blood was found further down on the other side of the road by a fence. He had been shot four times, one through the nose, again, the left four the left fourth rib from behind and the third time 
in the right hand, so kind of like defensive, mm-hmm. um, and finally through the back of the neck. Booker's body was not found until approximately 11.30, almost two miles away from Martin's body, behind a tree. Oh, wow. She was found by members of the Boyd family, along with their friend, Ted, who had joined the search party. Her body was laying on its back, fully clothed, with the right hand in the pocket um, of, like, a overcoat. Um, mm-hmm. Booker had been shot twice, once through the chest and once in the face. The weapon was... Uh, the weapon used was the same in the first double murder, the thirty-two automatic Colt pistol. Mm-hmm. Um, Martin's 1946 Ford Club Coupe was found three miles away from Booker's body and uh, about a mile and a half from his body. That's really spread out. Yeah, it is. It was parked outside the Spring Lake Park with keys still in it. The authorities were not sure who was like shot first. Mm-hmm. Again, it's the 40s, so it's really hard for them to like figure that out. Um, Sheriff Presley and Texas Ranger Captain Manuel Gonzalez, oh my god, there's so many names, <laughs> um, said that examinations of the bodies indicated that they both had been, like, they both put up a fucking struggle. Like, they were oh, not okay. going down with mm-hmm. a fight, without a fight. Um, Martin's friend, Tom Arbentrin, said that he did not believe an argument had happened between the victims and that Martin had, like, no enemies. Again, they're like, what 17 teenagers yeah like come on now um law enforcement was unable to locate booker's saxophone at the crime scene the saxophone was eventually discovered about six months later on october 24th it was still in its like case um it was located in the underbrush near where booker's body had been found which is strange to me like because you think they would have searched the area right yeah like, how did they get there, and then why didn't they find it? Yeah. When did it get there? You know? Yeah. Was it there the whole time, or did mm-hmm. they put it there later? Yeah. So, um, a reward was posted, again, for $1,700 for inter- information leading to the person persons responsible for the um, Griffin Moore and Martin Booker murders. So, at this point, they hadn't really connected the first ones. Um like, the, the first attack, like, the uh-huh. assault. Um, rumors began to circulate throughout the area, with one rumor suggesting that a local minister had turned in his own son as a suspect in the Martin Booker murders. On April 18th, Captain Gonzalez issued a statement to the public during a press conference verifying that the murderer had not been caught and that rumors circulating among the public and newspapers were, quote, a hindrance to the investigation and harmful to innocent persons. Which, I can't, I can't begin to think that Texarkana is like a pop in town, you know, mm-hmm. in the middle of the 40s. It's not really large now, so... I mean, large enough, I guess. Yeah. So, on Friday, May 3rd, sometime before 9 p.m., Virgil Starks, age 37, a farmer and welder, was in his ranch-style home on his 500-acre farm. Wow. Yes. Off of Highway 67 East, um, almost 10 miles northeast of Texarkana, he turned, like, into his favorite weekly radio show. He had, like, a, he had a, like, a, like, a... Schedule. A schedule where he would turn on his radio show and, like, he, him and his wife, Katie, who was 36, um, gave him a heating pad for his sore back. And then he sat in his armchair in the sitting room, which was just off of, like, the kitchen in the bedroom, while Katie was in the bedroom lying on the bed. She heard something in the backyard and asked Virgil to turn down the radio. Seconds later, when Virgil was reading the May 3rd edition of the newspaper, Two shots were fired into the back of his head from a closed double window three feet away. Katie did not hear the gunshots. Instead, she heard, quote, sounded like the breaking of glass. So she thought Virgil had dropped something and then went to see what had happened. As she entered the doorway to the living room, she saw Virgil stand up and then suddenly slump back into his chair, which is, bless her little heart. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, she saw blood and then ran up to him, lifted his head. When she realized he was dead, she ran to phone the police. Um, she went to the phone and, like, was able to hear, like, two rings Uh before she was shot twice in the face from the same window. 
One bullet entered her right cheek and exited behind her left ear, and the other went just below her lip, breaking her jaw and splintering out several teeth before lodging under her tongue. Um, she dropped to her knees, but soon managed to get back on her feet. She ran to get a pistol from the living room, but was blinded by her own blood, which makes sense. Um, she heard the killer tearing loose the rusted screen wire on the back porch. She thought she was going to be killed, so she stumbled towards her bedroom near the front of the house to leave a note. That's, I mean, what are you, you going to so, write? so fucking sad. Meanwhile, the killer ran to the back of the house and made his way up the steps into the side screen porch through the back screen door. She heard the killer coming through the kitchen window, so she turned around and ran through the dining room, through the bedroom, down the hallway, through another bedroom, and then ran into the living room and out the front door, leaving a, this is what they described it as, a virtual river of blood. I mean... It's your head. Because head wounds bleed like fucking crazy, as we've said before. Like, head wounds are no joke, man. And she was just shot twice in the head. Yeah. Um, And teeth. Yeah. Why can't I hear myself anymore? Okay. And teeth throughout the house across the street. Um, Barefoot and still in her blood-soaked nightgown, she ran across the street to her sister and her brother-in-law's house. Because no one was home, she ran 50 yards more to A.V. Pratter's house. Pratter answered her call for help, and she gasped and told him that Virgil was dead, and then she collapsed. How would she not know that her sister was not home? I mean, you've just been shot twice in the fucking face. Are you going to remember that your sister's not home? I mean, my sister's always home. (laughs) God... Um, Prater shot a rifle into the air to summon another a- a neighbor. Okay, can you imagine? <laughs> That's what you have to do. <laughs> Everybody, you? wake up! <laughs> <laughs> Fucking gunshots. I go get squirrely Shirley. Um, so, which is, <laughs> I didn't even say his name. The next door neighbor's name is Elmer Taylor. Of course it is. <laughs> Elmer Fudd with his shotgun. Basically. So, Prater called to Taylor to bring his car because Mr. and Mrs. Starks had been shot. So, Taylor, along with Mr. and Mrs. Prater and their baby, now <laughs> rode with Mrs. Stark to the hospital. Um, and no. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, Mrs. Stark gave Mr. Taylor uh, one of the teeth like that had mm-hmm. fallen out with the gold filling as like a thank you. Payment? Yeah. Here's some gold. I'm guessing um, she was in a semi-conscious state slumping forward in the front I mean, seat. Yeah. And although she lost a considerable amount of blood, she showed no signs of going into shock and her heart rate remained normal, which honestly a bad bitch, man. Wow. Um, hmm. Yeah, no. So, Miller County Sheriff W.E. Davis, who became, like, the head of the investigation, questioned Mrs. Stark in the operating room, which... Rude. (laughs) This lady has been there so much. Can you give her a fucking break? Right. Like, you're literally... Her husband was just shot. She was shot. She just ran for her life, and you can't even wait till she's out of the operating room? Yeah. Um, so... Uh, the news was printed on the fucking front page the next morning, um, which was Saturday, May 4th. So it said, quote, murder rock city again. Farmer slain, wife wounded, which like, okay. Can we, can we, can we not do all of that? That's a bit much for me. Calm it down, everybody. I don't think I can get it any calmer. <laughs> Four days later, Sheriff Davis talked with Miss Stark again at the hospital. Miss Stark discounted a circulating rumor that Virgil had heard a car outside their home several nights in a row and feared of being killed, which was not true. was not happening. More rumors. More tiny town talking. Um, mm-hmm. Following the attack on the Starks, the killer faded in, like, to the shadows again. Eventually, life in Texarkana drifted back to like a semblance of normalcy. And over the years, there have been, like, so many fucking suspects. Like, so many. Um, Hollis and Larry described their attacker again as being around six feet tall. Hollis said he was dark, tanned man under 30 years old, while Larry said that he was a light-skinned African-American. Um, and then Miss Stark... Which could be the same thing. Yes. Miss Stark sided with Hollis. That she didn't really... She couldn't really tell. 
She just knew he was tall. Mm -hmm. Um, So there were suspects from this, um, like Larry's description, and from Hollis's, um, and other things pointing to these people. And let me just say, guys, again, let me emphasize the suspect list is what spent I spent most of my research on because mm-hmm. there were so many suspects. Like you wouldn't think there would be that many for Holy fucking shit. Are you ready? I don't think so. Okay. So first we have an eighteen year old freshman at the University of Arkansas. Also, have you seen that I don't even remember what it is. I think it's a vine or it's, it's a something where he was like, how is this not Arkansas, but this is Kansas. Why is this Arkansas? <laughs> I'm like, have you seen that? No, I don't no? think so. Oh, okay. Okay. We're going to have to watch it in a little bit because it's so fucking funny. Um, anyway, so 18 year old freshman at the university of Arkansas, Henry Booker Tennyson. He went by duty, which no, no, was found dead in his bed at home in Fayetteville, Arkansas, Washington County Sheriff Bruce Kreider discovered that Tennyson had purchased cyanide of mercury on November 3rd, which... What? When you could go to the fucking grocery store and purchase that shit. Um, stating that he was going to use it for rat poison. Um, however, a note was found inside a fountain pen marked BB for double broad nib. I don't really know what that is, so don't ask me. Poison was found on the cap. The note inside the pen contained clues to the combination of the lockbox. Because there was also a lockbox. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> this, this gets weirder. Okay, just wait. Um, and not in the mood for playing games, the police forced the lockbox open. <laughs> just follow the clues. That's literally your job. <laughs> inside was a viewmaster with several rolls of film of Mexico and a stack of papers. Under the stack of papers was a note confessing to the Texarkana killings. The note read, To whom it may concern, this... Everybody. Basically. This is my last word to you fine people, and you are fine. I want to thank you all for your trouble that you have gone to, to send me to college and to bring me up. You have really been wonderful. My thanks to Ella Lee, um, which is like the owner of the house that he was staying in, mm-hmm. for letting me stay with her during my college career. And to Belva Joe, which is her daughter, mm-hmm. her 12-year-old daughter, um, for putting up with me the way she did. She had to, I know, but I fell in love with her about a week ago. If she was older, I would have asked her to marry me, but that would be impossible. Why did I take my own life? Well, when you committed two double murders, you would too. Yes, I did kill Betty Joe Booker and Paul Martin in the city park that night and killed Mr. Starks and tried to get Mrs. Starks. You wouldn't have guessed it. I did it when Mother was either out or asleep and no one saw me do it. For the guns, I disassembled them and discarded them in different places. When I am found, which has already been done, please give this typewriter to Craig, which is his older brother, mm-hmm. and tell him that I hope that his child is a boy. It will help him in his work. Okay. Everything can go wherever you think it will do best, except for the Viewmaster, which will go to Bill the Joe. Please take my bankroll and give it to Daddy. I think it should go to him and tell him I don't want the car now. Well, goodbye, everybody. See you sometime. If I make the grade, which will be hard for me to make, H.B. Tennyson. Tennyson had made, like, like hella rough drafts with a pencil and then completed, like, typewritten copies. Uh-huh. Um, he had even created his own newspaper headlines mentioning his body being found, which... What? I feel like it's like a really me thing to do. Like I want these bitches <laughs> to get this right. <laughs> oh my gosh, the control freaking you. Um, one red UA student found like, dead. Don't worry, I'll write it for you. <laughs> I got this. You guys can't be trusted. <laughs> To get my life's work correct. <laughs> she hated everyone. Um, she did not light up a single room she walked into. <laughs> I can't stand when people say that. It really bothers me. Like, on all of, like, the ID Discovery shows, 
where they're like, yeah, she was like a really joy to have. Like you just like, you just felt her happiness when she was in the room. Like she was just a really pleasant person. Like, you know, these bitches lying. Everybody is not pleasant. Not everybody. But everybody on every single one of those shows. That is mm-hmm. the exact, that is the, the, the um, outline. And you just insert name here for these bitches. Mm. I want you guys to be like, she was a total fucking bitch. Everybody's <laughs> <laughs> got something nice to say after the fact. Yeah, basically, don't lie to them people. Um, anyway, so one read UA student found dead. Another was UA student, and this was not my words, commit suicide. Printed words on a sign read, do not disturb, death in the making. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yep, yep, yep. He also wrote his own epitaph, which, same, which read, Here lies H.B. Tennyson, born February 12th, 1930, died October 2nd, 1948. He committed suicide for the happiness of his family. May he rest in peace. Amen. Okay, then. Yeah. The, officer found the, the officers found more notes, though Sheriff Kreider had no idea like, which order they were written in, because, like, how the fuck could you? Mm -hmm. Um, Miller County Sheriff W.E. Davis and Bowie County Sheriff Bill Presley were surprised by the news, and they said that the youth was never a suspect in the killings and that the detailed investigation would be made, and nothing came of it. I mean, he would have been, like, 16, 15, 16, when these occurred, so, like... I mean, it's impossible i guess but like it's not like probable yeah so on to our next uh, our next suspect okay and his story um max tackett who is not our suspect he is a 33 year old arkansas state police officer a ricky at the time realized that a car had been stolen on a night of one of the murders and that had and that a previously stolen car had been found abandoned on Friday, June 28, 1946, Tackett found a car in a parking lot that had been reported stolen. He staked out the car until someone came back to it. He then arrested a 21-year-old named Peggy Sweeney. She said that she had just gotten married in Shreveport, but her husband was currently in Atlanta, um, Texas, not Atlanta, Georgia, because apparently there is Atlanta, Texas. Oh, I didn't know. I didn't either. Um, trying to sell another stolen car. So, Homer Carter, which is an actual name, the (laughs) chief of police in Atlanta, told Tackett that a man had tried selling a stolen car to one of his citizens. Tackett asked the citizen if he would recognize the suspect, but the man said that he would not, which I'm not getting into other people's mess either. (laughs) Um, Tackett noticed that the citizen had a distinct appearance, which included a cowboy hat and boots, which you would think is not distinct for Texas. Right. Um, Tackett told the citizen, you wouldn't recognize him, but he would recognize you. Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. Tackett then asked the citizen if he would be willing to walk with him into several public places. Tackett had the idea that the suspect would not want to see the citizen and would try to avoid him, which makes sense, but, like, aren't you also putting this poor dude's life in, like, jeopardy? Mm, yeah. Just, just a tiny bit. On a Saturday in July, Tackett took, um the citizen, into a Arkansas motor coach bus station. Tackett saw a man run out of the back of the building. Not suspicious at all. (laughs) Tackett then chased him and caught him on the fire escape, which, that's your escape plan? There's only two ways you can go, man. And one of them is blocked by Tackett. (laughs) Um, Back. Yeah. Um, So he chased after him and caught him. Um, and the man was Yule Sweeney. Soon after his arrest, he reportedly made what might have been an incriminating statement about being a murderer, such as as a fear of being sentenced to the electric chair. When police questioned Sweeney's wife, Peggy, she confessed in great detail that he was the phantom killer because he was also known as the phantom killer. Sorry, completely forgot to say that. Oh, uh, okay. It was... Like, the whoever it is. Yeah, the person. serial killer name was the phantom killer and then the murders are referred to as the moonlight murders okay i gotcha okay and that he had killed a that he had killed betty joe booker and paul martin 
Her story changed in some details across several confessions and conversations, which, of course, it did. And police believe that she was withholding some facts due to her fear of, like, Sweeney, like, incriminating herself. Okay. Like, she doesn't want to, like, put her there. Mm -hmm. That's what the police were thinking anyway. Um, Police were able to independently verify some of the details Peggy's confessions had, like, produced, Mm -hmm. um, such as locating the victim's possessions in a location she said that Yule had discarded. Um, A shirt with laundry mark, perhaps linked to, like, the Starks case was found in Sweeney's possession, but the link was not, like, certain. Mm -hmm. Uh, Peggy's confession was the most critical part of the case. By law, in 1946, Peggy could not be forced to testify against her husband, and because she was considered an unreliable witness, Yule was not arrested for the murder. Instead, with only circumstantial evidence, Sweeney was sent to prison as a habitual offender for car theft. Mm. Yeah. Presley reported in his uh, 2014 book that several investigators on the Sweeney case later said that a habitual offender sentence was effectively a plea bargain, even though the case files um, indicated no such agreement was formally reached. Sweeney was concerned about being sentenced to death for the murders, so he agreed to, like, plea to no contest Mm -hmm. um, as a habitual offender and, in fact, tried to plead guilty even though the habitual offender cases required a jury trial. Oh, okay. So, a couple of the things that I don't think that Sweeney did it like, okay. were that his fingerprints did not match any of the prints on, at the um, Booker or Martin crime scene. Um, Peggy Sweeney later recanted her confession. Um, the Texas Rangers and Sheriff Bill Presley were not convinced that Sweeney was the phantom, which mm-hmm. they're on this fucking case, so I'm going to go with that. Um, Sweeney denied being the phantom, which that doesn't carry much weight, but, you know, mm-hmm. something. Right. Um... He didn't, he wasn't like, yeah, it was me. Yes. Officers including Bowie County Sheriff Presley, Miller County Sheriff Davis, Texas City Chief of Police Runnels, and both state police departments worked day and night for six months trying to validate Peggy Sweeney's story of her and her husband's whereabouts. They deduced that Peggy was not telling the truth and that on the night of the murder of Booker and Martin, the couple was sleeping in their car under a bridge near San Antonio, which is nowhere near Texarkana. Why would she say that he did it if he didn't do it? She was put in this position where she is being interviewed, like, sometimes hours upon hours. So, you know, the pressure. Like, you just want to get out of that fucking situation. I mean, I get it, but, like, come on now. So... let your husband, like... Some people just... it, It just... It just... To me, it makes sense. Like... That's how false confessions get made all the time. All of the time. Do we need to make... Uh, do we need to watch... Um, no, whatever it is, we don't need to watch. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's, it's, it's just a, a hot fuck of a thing, you know? Um, however, some of the things that do point to Sweeney mm-hmm. are the fact that he had previously owned a thirty-two caliber Colt Automatic, but he had sold it in a craps game. Um, while being accused of murder, Sweeney remained silent instead of pleading his innocence, which is a little funny because you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. Mm -hmm. Um, Peggy Sweeney confessed to her husband's actions, revealing very detailed information, including some information officers already knew and some they did not, which, again, it's not that hard to make an educated guess. Yeah, I mean, like, they can't know, they can't know everything and... no. With all the um, media attention and everything, people can, you know, drop conclusions. Yes. Um, So, another thing was police found a khaki work shirt in the suspect's room with laundry mark of the word Stark, which read, like, was read under black light, which is strange. Um, In the front pocket of the work shirt, slag was found, which matched samples found in Virgil Stark's welding shop. Okay. Yeah, he was there, probably. Yeah. So, um, another suspect. Okay. 
unknown as like either a sick prank or like a true confession, an anonymous an, an anonymous woman contact family members of the two victims, um, like each set of the murdered victims. Mm-hmm. Um, one in 1999 and another in 2000, apl- apologizing for what her father had done. Um, and at this point, they have no idea who the fuck it was. Yul Sweeney had no daughter. So, okay. um, he was kind of like ruled out of that one. Now, in the Martin Booker case, a taxi driver became, like, a major suspect because his cab was seen in the vicinity of the crime scene that morning, but the driver was soon, like, passed out Mm -hmm. um, as investigations continued. Friends, acquaintances, and several suspects were questioned in three rooms of the Poe County building by officers who worked in 24-hour relays. Um, Suspects were brought in within, like, a 100-mile radius, which, hot damn, um, both male and female, white and black. Officers received a lead from Jerry Atkins, Booker's band leader, who stated that Betty had carried a saxophone with her. And then because no saxophone had been, like, found at that point, mm-hmm. officers hoped that that would lead them to a suspect. Like, maybe it had been taken to, like, a pawn shop or something. Mm-hmm. To get at least another person in the mix. Mm-hmm. On Saturday, April 27th, a man was arrested in Corpus Christi, Texas, for trying to sell a saxophone to a music store. The previous Thursday, a 30-year-old man walked into the music store without an instrument and asked the salesperson if the store wanted to buy a Bundy Alto saxophone, which is the same that um, she had. Um, The girl told him that she would need to speak to her manager. The man replied, quote, what do you have to talk to him about it for? You work here, don't you? Which... Whatever. I can't stand it. Um, the girl claimed that the man seemed nervous, and once the manager was summoned, the man fled. So, obviously... She needed the manager. Yeah. Um, and uh, they contacted police. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's a little sketchy. Um, I've told about the time that I worked at a retail store, and the two people came in and did uh, heroin in the changing room. I remember the knives and the... That oh, wasn't oh actually God. criminal, but like it, it was, it was, it was suspicious. Um, so I used to work at a clothing store where people brought in their items to resell, mm-hmm. and then we would put them out to resell. It was like a popular teen clothing store. Mm-hmm. I, sh- I probably shouldn't say the name, um, but like we would like look at the clothes and like tell them how much it was, all that stuff, like how much money we could give them. Mm-hmm. And some people were salty about it. Okay. This one lady came in, the instance that Sierra is talking about. This one lady came in, had it like boxes and boxes of shit. And I want to say like it was not cute clothing. It wasn't trendy or anything like that. And that's what we had to look for. Um, so I get to the bottom. I am the manager at the time, on, like manager on duty. And I get to the bottom and I lift up the, like, the last pair of jeans. And there are like, no lie, 40 knives. Like not small knives, like big kitchen knives, steak knives, like all sorts of different types of knives. And I'm just like, huh? Right. Uh, you don't even like sell anything like that. Why would no. you bring that to I'm like, store? how would you not know they were in the box? Right. So at this point, I have to decline the entire order. Like even if there was like two things in there that we could have bought, like no, I have to decline the whole thing. If we see any kind of weapons, we have to decline it. And it's like this Karen... It is 100% this old white lady, Karen, um, who is like, uh, I don't understand why you can't just take this. I'll take the fucking knives out of here. And I'm like, man, please calm down. Like, (laughs) it's too early for this one. Two, if we have any kind of weapons on the premises, like we are automatically, like we have to decline this. And of course she pulls the Karen card. I want to speak to your manager. Like, ma'am, I am the manager on duty. There's no way you're the fucking manager on duty. Shouting, like, to the top of her lungs. Um, and I'm like, no, there there really is. You see my name? It, it says Emily. You see up there, it says manager on duty, and that's Emily. That's me. Um, I'm sorry, we can't take your items at this time. And she just fucking, like, takes the knives, slings the box. Knives go everywhere. Shirts go everywhere. And then just leaves, just walks out, leaves us with the mess to deal with. So that was super. However, the time I am talking about, (laughs) um, I was, I think I was only like three weeks on the job. Mm. I want to say it was only like three weeks on the job. Um, And I'm sitting there and I'm like hanging up clothing 
and these two people come in. They're very sketchy people, first of all. It's a man and a woman, and they walk in, they grab, like, armfuls of stuff, and they're like, can we try this on? I'm like, sure. So I have to go in lots of dressing rooms, and they go and get their own separate dressing rooms. And then I see the lady crawl underneath the dressing room where the guy is, because he's in the bigger dressing room mm-hmm. and, like, the handicapped one. Yeah. Crawls underneath it to be with him, and then barricade themselves in from the inside and with, like, stacks of clothing and just like move the bench that's in there and all we see are them like putting on because it's me and another girl because we opened at like nine o'clock and it was like nine o'clock in the morning on like a Tuesday so there's (laughs) nobody else in the store yeah it's only me and this other girl in there um and they're like putting on all these clothing items and um all, like we see things falling out of their pockets and like you hear them talking about like their needles and stuff like that so we press the button on underneath the the counter mm-hmm. and um my aunt mm-hmm. um my, both of my aunts are uh, members of the police department <laughs> so one of them shows up and she's like what are you doing i'm like oh. So I proceed to tell her, and she she and her partner um, get the people out of the dressing room, and they honestly, like, if you guys have ever seen Friends, as much as I hate Friends, like, you know the episode <laughs> where Joey mm-hmm. is, like, wearing all of those clothes? Yes. No fucking lie, that's what these two fucking tweakers are doing. Mm. 110%, that is them. And <laughs> my aunt looks at me and goes... What were they wearing? And you know that's like my superpower. I always know <laughs> what somebody is wearing. And um, I'm like, I, I don't remember at this point, but it was yeah. like jeans and a blue shirt or something like that. And they had, like, they just kept stripping off the clothes and stripping them off and stripping them off. And then when that happens, because they've been worn and we've seen them be worn, we have to trash them. So... That was, it was, I know it was no lie, like $75 of clothes each. Um, So they take them outside and like we're watching from the inside. We close the store at this point, watching from the inside. And they're just pulling out all these fucking heroin needles and like little baggies. And I found out later from my aunt that they were arrested on possession with intent to distribute and um, causing a disturbance and just just a, a whole bunch of list shit of things um so yeah it was really super i only worked there for eight months and then i was like never again mm-hmm. um it was fucking terrible okay also like this case um all right back to this so So, the man was arrested two days later at a waterfront hotel after purchasing a forty-five caliber revolver from a pawn shop. This man frequents some fucking pawn shops. So, on Tuesday, April 30th, the sales girl identified him as the same man who had tried to sell, like, the saxophone. Although, no saxophone was found in his possession, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, The police found a bag of bloody clothing in his hotel room. Also interesting, the man claimed that the blood was from a cut that he had received on his forehead in a bar fight. After several days of grilling him, Captain Gonzalez stated, quote, Everything the man tells us is being checked and double-checked, and everything he has told us thus far has been found to be true. He has answered all of our questions without hesitancy, and we are making every effort to find out if he is telling the truth or is covering up information. We are convinced that thus far the man has told the truth. Um, so he also goes on to say that it's our duty to not only apprehend violators of the law, but also protect their innocent persons. Um, and like goes on to fucking condemn the people of this town for making up so many goddamn rumors. (laughs) Because when I say that these people would not stop talking about this and just spreading like absolute lies, like that's all they were doing, Sierra. Mm -hmm. Like all they were doing. Uh, so by Friday, May 3rd, the man had been, like, completely cleared. Mm-hmm. So in the Starks case, several people had been found in the vicinity of the crime scene and were stopped and questioned. Twelve were detained and nine were soon released. The remaining three were kept for further questioning, but eventually all detainees were released. Um, on May 8th, it was announced that an escaped German prisoner of war was considered a suspect. What? Yeah. He was hunted. Well, I mean... Yeah. The first one. 
that one was bonkers. And I could see somebody, like, with, no, some kind of mental issue. Yeah, yeah. So, he was hunted, quote, as a matter of routine. He was described as a stocky 24-year-old weighing 187 pounds with brown hair and blue eyes. The POW stole a car in Mount Ida, Arkansas, and attempted to buy ammunition in several eastern Oklahoma towns. Um, that, that was just one of the random-ass suspects. Mm. Um, meanwhile, late at night on Tuesday, May 7th, a 45-year-old black man named Herbert Thomas was flagged down by, hitchhi- by a hitchhiker in Kilgore. The hitchhiker offered $5 and said he needed a ride to Henderson because his mother was seriously ill. Thomas said that he would not normally give the man a ride, but he felt like he needed to because the man had told such a sad story. Mm-hmm. Um, when they neared Henderson, the hitchhiker pulled out a pistol and told Thomas to keep driving or he would kill him like the five people he killed in Texarkana, mentioning Paul Martin and Betty Joe Booker by name. Mm. On Friday... I mean, but he could have just said that he knew about the... Yeah. Like, murders, like I so. said, this is was a highly publicized case yeah. in Arkansas and Texas and Oklahoma for that matter. Yeah. Like, it, it was... Like, these people don't have much else to talk about. <laughs> um, so, on Friday, May 10th... Not, e- not in the middle of the summer when there's no harvesting or planting or anything. No. They got nothing. <laughs> in the middle of nowhere at that. On Friday, May 10th, in Otoka, Oklahoma, a man walked up to a woman's house and opened her screen door. He asked Miss Harmon if he could have some turpentine, food, and money. Miss Harmon <laughs> told the man... I know. Like, what the fuck is the... Like, I... The audacity. Basically. Miss um, Harmon told the man that she had very little turpentine and had no money or food, um, which would be like, <laughs> me, get the fuck away. Oh, did I tell you the Jehovah... Well, you saw the Jehovah's Witnesses were circling our neighborhood. Mm-hmm. They were. They were circling hard. And I was like, please do not come up here because we will be double worshippers at a moment's notice. <laughs> can't um so the man then grabbed miss Harmon by the hair and dragged her out onto the porch he told her that he might as well kill her because he had already killed three or four people and that he was going to rape her he then heard a horse galloping towards them and told her (laughs) yeah told her quote there comes a man on a horse if you report this to officers i'll come back and kill you um After the man ran off, the woman took her child with her to a neighbor's house further up the street and reported it to police. Good girl. Um, Soon after her report, a widespread search for the man, including 20 officers and 160 residents. So, like, that's a lot. It is a lot. She described the attacker as 5'9 to 5'10 white man, about 40 to 45 years old, about 150 to 155 pounds, with dark hair who was badly in need of a shave, which, shady... (laughs) (laughs) Um, he carried an open five-inch bladed pocket knife and was wearing gloves a faded worn blue shirt khakis and an old dirty dark colored flop hat which i don't know what the fuck that is so police arrested a suspect that like really closely matched the description on sunday and the suspect had gloves that miss harneman identified as the same gloves worn by her attacker the man was also wearing like the same clothing and the pocket knife that the 33-year-old, also she added on some age to this man, um, <laughs> was carrying, though had a blade much shorter than five inches. Because, like, again, adrenaline I mean, is a weird fucking thing. Well, also, like, are you counting the handle? You know, different people. Yeah. Um, and she's also being dragged out onto her porch, fearing for her fucking life. There so that dramatic incident yes, as well. Yes. Um, Though this man had been, like, cleanly shaven, um, after investigating the suspects, officers did not believe that this was the phantom, but it was definitely the man that attacked her. Okay. I was Um, like, come on now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, According to the man's story about bumming around the country, he could not have been in Texarkana at the time of the slaying of Virgil Starks. The man said that he had left Pine Bluff in the latter part of April and then went to Colorado. Officers said that they were going to, like, thoroughly check his story. Again, it was not him. Um, they kept him in jail for three weeks so that his beard would grow back, which Miss Mar- uh, Harmon defini- definitely identified him as her attacker. 
So, again. Gotcha. Good job. It, it was him. Um, also, it took him three weeks to grow a fucking beard back. Hmm. Beard game week. We were judging this man harshly. They threw an extra week just for good measure. <laughs> On Thursday, May 23rd, 1946, a 21-year-old ex-Army Air Force B-24 machine gunner. I did it. Um, <laughs> by the name of Ralph B. Bauman, told Los Angeles police that he thought he might have thought he might have been the phantom. Quote, I've been in a coma running for something. Maybe murder. I want to clear it up. If I didn't kill five people in Texarkana, I want to settle down and be a stuntman in Hollywood. I'm the happiest when I'm living in danger. He was in a coma, but still doing things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Previously, he had gone to the Los Angeles Examiner and told the reporter, quote, I want to sell you some murder information. <laughs> <laughs> what? Hold on, I guess better. I know who and where the Texarkana killer is. Give me five dollars and let me have an hour start, and I'll put that information in a sealed envelope. <laughs> That's a lot, man. For five dollars. <laughs> the reporter obviously called police after reading the following quote. On a certain day in March, I was in Texarkana Theater watching Path News Picture of War when a party of persons acted wise and they said that they were overreacting. It kind of got to me. I followed them home. I killed them within a period of three days. Hmm. Yeah. So police arrested the Red Hat at downtown shooting gallery. He had just shot his 23rd bullseye in a row with a 22 caliber rifle. So we know he can shoot. Right. Um, Bauman said... Quote, I am my own suspect. He claimed to have been in a coma for several weeks and that he woke up from the coma on May 3rd with his rifle missing and heard about a suspect matching his description. He then hitchhiked to Los Angeles feeling he was running for murder. Bauman said that he was discharged from the AAF in 1945 for being a psychoneurotic. The chief of police said, quote, I feel that the man is certainly a mental case. The Texarkana <laughs> killings could have been the work of a mental case, and so far as we know, this man could have done it, but we have absolutely no facts. There will be... <laughs> there will have to be developed if they exist. Well, at least he was, you know, forthright with that. Um, Gonzalez stated that several parts of the man's story had little basis in fact. <laughs> I just feel like if he was that good of a shot, he would have just killed them. Oh, um, right. In the yeah. Yeah. Um, police arrested, of course, a black man in his 30s who tire tracks were found on the other side of the road from Martin's corpse. James Presley later gave this man a pseudonym named, like, Sammy. Um, Sammy denied being in the area where Martin's remains were found and was unable to account for his tire tracks at the scene. He also failed a polygraph test, mm -hmm. yet given Sammy's lack of criminal record and his good reputation in the area as a longtime resident, officers conflicted about his status as a suspect. Again, this is the South during what it, Jim Crow, correct? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, are we surprised by this? No. Uh, Sammy was taken to... Travis Elliott because they had decided to have him hypnotized. Of all the people, they didn't hypnotize the crazy person? Nope. Um, Elliot talked to the man in a private session for a while. Sheriff Presley asked Elliot if this could be the man. Um, no, I'm sorry. Sheriff Presley asked Elliot if the man could be hypnotized. Quote, yes, but you have the wrong man. He has no criminal tendencies. So at least there was that. Yeah. Um, he, uh, he passed all of the hypnotism's test and mm -hmm. replied no to every time that he was asked if he was murderer. Like if he, he was asked if he killed Betty Jo Booker, Booker and he replied no. Um, Elliot then asked if he knew who had did it and the man said no. On the night of the murders of Booker and Martin, it was revealed that he had spent some time with a friend and then dropped the friend off at home. And um, he had actually pulled off the road to relieve himself, which mm -hmm. would explain why his tire tracks were there. Right. He then visited his um, 
Paramore, but after his plans did not work out, he went home and to bed. Sheriff Presley and his officers then verified the details of the man's story and cleared him as a suspect. He lied during the polygraph test because he was having a love affair with a married woman. Oh, yeah. Scandalous. Um, but despite all of these suspects and possible leads, this murder and attacks have never been solved. Um, the killings were also the inspiration for the 1976 movie, The Town That Dreaded Sundown, um, which Texarkana still shows each Halloween in the park near one of the crime scenes. No. So in really great taste. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I've never seen that movie, and I was looking on Amazon Prime, and I could not find it, so... Mm. Yeah, but mm. that is, what it, how long ago was that? That was a hot minute ago, mm-hmm. and it's still unsolved. I feel like it's not going to be unless there is, like, some, like, super great DNA evidence, you know? Yeah. Like, with the... I don't know if they collected um, anything. Like, with the Golden State Killers DNA? Mm-hmm. Because of, like, the Ancestry website? Like, mm-hmm. I feel like that could probably do it, but, like, I don't know. I feel like Texas slash Arkansas in the the late 40s, early 50s wasn't really all that concerned about preserving the crime scene, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah, I don't think it will. It's not likely that it will be solved because the, prob- the killer is probably already dead, so. More than likely, yeah. Um, but yeah, that is my case. As much as I hate unsolved ones, I thought this one was pretty interesting. That's why I don't do a lot of unsolved ones. I feel like I'm just too much of a control freak to not know what the fuck's <laughs> going to happen. Um, so, yeah. Uh, but it's just fucking wild, man. But those, that was all the ones, all the victims in the town? Yeah. Mm. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I just, there's so many fucking suspects. I don't know. It's just, it's just wild. Very, very And wild. yet, not really anybody had, like, a good reason to have done it. Yeah. Like, just to, for what? I don't know, man. It's so, it's so, so wild. I just, like, I was, I was sitting there on Google and I was like, let me, let me Google some sketchy shit. Like, I am definitely 110% on a list somewhere. <laughs> um, because I was like, moonlight murders. Murders to deal with the moon. Sketchy crimes dealing with moons. <laughs> like, like, 110% on a list. Um, on a no-fly list, most definitely. Uh, so, yeah. It's, it's just, it's wild, man. I feel like that's all I can say. That's all I ever say is wild, but. Hmm. Do you, do you like any of the people, especially so? Not particularly. In my opinion, I feel like they probably like interviewed the person that did it, but it was like, oh, this is a pillar of the community or, oh, this person couldn't have done it because there's this flimsy alibi or, um, or they just never thought that that person could do it. Mm-hmm. They just never interviewed them to begin with. Yeah. Um, I'm also not 100% positive that the first person that did the attack mm-hmm. is the same one that did the murders. You know? Yeah. yeah. So. Just because, like, the mask thing, too. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It just seems like a very different kind of thing. Like, yeah, they were, they were murdered on, like, Lover's Lane, the mm-hmm. second people, but, like, I don't know. So, yeah. It just seems weird. Just the circumstances of it all seem weird. But that is my is bonus that? episode for you yeah. guys. Yeah. Okay. It is my bonus episode. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> all right, guys. I hope you guys have a good, oh, I think we're, this is coming out on a Friday, so I hope you guys have a good weekend. Um, if it's not, have a, have, I don't know. Do what you do. We're, we're going to go do things. Probably sleep because Sierra said she's tired. Yeah. Um, so, Sierra, plug all the things. Don't stare at me like that. <laughs> plug all the things, woman. I mean, if you're here. I am. They're here. They're here. Right? You guys are here? <laughs> if you're here, get out of here and go to Instagram or Facebook as you desire. Follow us on Paranormal Podcast. And... Like all of our stuff because do it. It's awesome. It is. <laughs> and then after you do that, you should 
definitely check out the blog, paranormalpodcast.com forward slash blog. Or you can just click on the word blog once you get there. And that will give you all the case photos, all the sources. And we even have, just for you guys, some resources. Um, should you need them, personal resources, you can look through those. Like, you know, actually, I do need to do that. Let's just click on that right yeah, there. Yeah, you would totally love to talk to someone about where you are in your headspace mentally. Because, homie, I get it. My headspace mentally is never always there. So, And that has nothing to do with us. Like, we are not, like, any way associated to the links None that are on there. Like, are. they don't come to us, mm-hmm. like... We don't know if you've clicked on them. Nothing. Um, also, our Patreon, guys. We have some really fun stuff coming to our Patreon. You guys should go check it out at Paranorm Podcast. What else is there, Sierra? Um, you, well, I mentioned you can send us an email earlier. Yes. But it, just to have that again, it's <laughs> uh, paranormalpodcast at gmail.com. Or if you're into regular mail, paper, envelope stamp which is honestly how you get my gears attorney <laughs> then you can send that to us paranormal podcast p.o box 1416 monroe north carolina 28111 do it that's three ones mm-hmm. okay right. guys i hope you guys have a fantastic whatever the fuck this is and thank you for going on this journey with us because whew, it, it was a wild ride i did 20 pages of notes motherfuckers so you're welcome Goodbye, everyone. Bye.